This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. And if you want to get in on any of our conversations today, make note of the numbers 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We begin today talking about politics and how it affects you. And our topics range from municipal to provincial to federal, which is where we will begin. And the continuing story of foreign interference in Canada's recent elections and what to do about it. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced last evening that there would be a new investigation by the Commons National Security Committee on foreign interference in Canada. And in the coming days, he will name an independent special rapporteur who will make expert recommendations on protecting and enhancing Canadians' faith in our democracy. Reaction this morning to that announcement from Conservative leader Pierre Poiliev. Of course, he could pick someone independent, but he won't. He'll pick another liberal establishment insider, a real Ottawa insider with some gray hair, who looks like uh, a a reasonable fellow, but we all know that it will be someone tied to him, tied to the Liberals, here to protect the Liberal establishment. And now, the Recovering Politicians Panel. Our recovering politicians this week are Jason Leader, conservative strategist and president of Enterprise, John Molloy, former Ontario Liberal cabinet minister and representing the New Democrats, Glenn DeBearmaker, former Toronto City Councillor. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Well, let me ask you first, uh, one at a time, what you make of the Prime Minister's latest announcement last evening. Is this succumbing to political and public pressure, or is this a real attempt to get to the truth? Jason, you first. Well, it's been a it's been a tough couple of weeks for the Prime Minister, right? He's gone from this didn't really happen to it's no big deal to it didn't affect the election results, which I actually I believe um, he was right in that case. To you know, we don't really need to do anything about it. To you're a racist if you believe it. To um, oh, I'm gonna or, I'm gonna organize something, and we're actually gonna look into this now. So he's been pushed, you know, for a couple of weeks now. It's he's mishandled it badly. He's had to overcorrect now, or at least try to correct his, his actions. And I'll just say, I, I thought it was a pretty sad spectacle yesterday. He was, you know, into breathless fighting for his life, yeah. Justin Trudeau. And, and it was a really weird thing to see. And, you know, he could have cleared this up months ago, right? He could have sat down with the nation and leveled with us and said, hey, guys, um, it looks like the Chinese regime was trying to mess up our last couple of elections. Here's what they did. It didn't really have an impact. Here's what, you know, we believe the impact could have been. And here's what we're trying to do to stop it. Instead, he spent months and months and months telling us it didn't, wasn't really a big deal. And, and now he's stuck with this. And I'll just say, um, sort of one last thing. If it weren't for the, you know, he, he wanted to be sort of proud of himself yesterday about, you know, how he was doing these things. If it weren't for the Globe and Mail breaking these stories, we wouldn't have even known that any of this stuff happened. And, and I think it's sort of incumbent on the PM in these kinds of times to have, you know, give us enough confidence that our elections are being fought fairly. And I think that he should have done this a long time ago. So he badly mishandled this file. Right, because when the whistle is blown, uh, the best strategy is always to come clean. John Malloy, would you agree? Well, I certainly agree with that, that statement. It's best to come clean. I guess I have a little more uh, sympathy for the prime minister. I mean, I agree that, uh, you know, there's been mixed signals coming from Ottawa. But at the same time, this is about national security. This is about intelligence issues. Um, you know, it, it, we may have found it puzzling when someone, you know, one of the, I think it was the deputy minister who said that there's a difference between intelligence and, and, and facts. But there is some truth to that. I mean, you know, those, those of us who a few years ago followed the whole thing around weapons of mass destruction in uh, Iraq know that there was all sorts of noise out there and there was, you know, information coming in from all sorts of sources. This is what we saw on the outside. Those on the inside 
Um, I imagine are getting all sorts of uh, signals about uh, about the election, what went on. There were there were, I'm sure, contradictory pieces of evidence that were coming in. There may have been informants who, uh, you know, they have to keep their their identities a secret, all that sort of thing. I mean, it's very very messy. The in- world of intelligence uh, from the inside, I think from the outside, it's probably even messier to try to look at it. And so I have some sympathy. The idea that a you know full public inquiry, everything on on display is uh, not the best way to go with uh, highly confidential and, and, and sensitive issues. So I think the Prime Minister has been between a, a rock and a hard place. I think Mr. Polyev was, uh, you know, it was a little ridiculous. They haven't named this individual yet, and already uh, the leader of the opposition is condemning them. I and mean, come on, give me a break. Let's let's see who the Prime Minister names. And, uh, uh, you know, if they are a person of credibility and of stature, then let's listen to what they have to say. But I think we've got to cut the intelligence community a little bit of a break. Uh, they, they, they work in secrecy for a reason. And I want to get back uh, to Glenn in just a moment or get to Glenn in a moment. But I want to follow up, John, on a comment you just made. I mean, we all know that there never ended up being weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Are you suggesting that the Chinese interference, if there was any, was significant or was insignificant? No, what I'm saying is that that intelligence is about uh, collecting data, and you collect it from a, a cross section. You have informants; they would be presumably listening in on 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 various communications, that sort of thing. You amass all this information, which can be contradictory, which can be wrong, can be factual, can be you know bang on, but it can also be misleading and. You need experts and you need people to be able to sort through it, and that's usually done in a, in a confidential way. And I guess what I'm saying is the idea that, that immediately the prime minister should have said, here, here's all the files, you know, we'll, we'll open them up unredacted, here we'll have a, you know, a three-ring circus, as someone called it, and invite in everyone, and everyone's going to tell the truth. I'm not exactly sure that would have benefited anyone, because, uh, you know, the type of information that's, that's floating around in that, in that murky world is not always uh, accurate. Okay. Glenn DeBearmaker, what are your thoughts on the latest announcements and reactions? Um, well, well, I actually, I guess that you've got three panelists and you're getting three different opinions. Um, I, I am really not um, worried or frightened of, of a full public inquiry and, and let the shine the light on that corner of the world. Let us Canadians as intelligent people come to our own conclusions. I, I don't think, the, I hope the government, the Chinese government or the Russian government or the American government, or the Indian government is going to be able to fool Glenda Bearmaker. I mean, maybe they will. Um, but I think all of us Canadians should know what foreign governments are trying to do. Uh, certainly, so far, though, uh, I mean, all of us are talking. There's not actually anything we can point to. There have been accusations, no proof today. As of today, we're all talking to each other. There's no proof, not not one little inkling of proof. Um, what there is is an accusation that, that, that some Chinese foreign students signed up for a nomination meeting and went and voted in a nomination uh, meeting, and that some uh, senior citizens were bussed in from a senior's home to vote in that same nomination meeting. I mean, horror of horrors senior citizens being bussed in from an old age home to vote in a nomination meeting. I mean, I've been in uh, nomination meetings for 35 years. That's what people do. I would challenge any political party to tell me that they've never had a candidate who's bussed in senior citizens from a senior's home to vote for their favorite candidate. So, so far, I haven't seen anything that that disturbs me. But I want to see, I would like to see a full inquiry to see everything and then let me and all of my neighbors make our, our own minds up on, on whether it's Chinese or whether it's the Americans or whether it's the Russians that are trying to control our democracy. Right. And, uh, you know, let me put this out to you as well, the Zoomer radio listener. How big of a deal do you think this uh, foreign interference is with regards to our recent elections? And do you think it should be a public and open inquiry? Or are you okay with a behind-closed-door investigation and uh, then recommendations by this special advisor to the Prime Minister? 416 Zero zero seven forty or one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. We'll take a call now. Joan in Niagara. Joan, go ahead. Hi. You're on the air. Hi. Don't we have a national security? It's called CFIS. Why are inept 
politicians running uh, an inquiry. Isn't that what we have thesis for? On on the CSIS uh, element, Jason Leader, had the whistleblower not spoken to the Globe and Mail and the Globe hadn't written the story, uh, as one of you have just recently said, there, we would not be talking about this. Um, so how how do we differentiate between how the politicians are reacting and what the CSIS investigators are saying? And as far as we know, they are saying that the results of the 19 and 21 elections are authentic. Yeah, I think it's important for anybody discussing this, uh, and, you know, to, to, to reiterate that point. Cause I, you know, I'm a conservative. I don't like the way the prime minister's handled this, but he won those elections fair and square. And, and I think it's important to say, to say those things. I think we're concerned about what might happen. And so, uh, it's a great question from the caller. Now, CSIS, um, there's, there's people in and around our national security, uh, you know, establishment who are not happy with how this is being handled. That is, that much is clear. And, you know, just remember, like, again, to the prime minister's sort of shifting narratives, just three or four days ago, the narrative coming out of Ottawa was, we're going to find the leaker and we're going to hold that person responsible because they have, have put national security at risk. So you think about, like, that was what the prime minister's team was saying on Thursday and Friday right. last week. Like, that was just three or four days ago, by the way, was like, the real problem here is the leaker was the, the narrative a couple of days ago. And so I think what's important, and I think your caller's on to something. Because, you know, transparency and accountability and a little bit of sunlight are what's required here, right? So the prime minister, I'm not saying he did anything wrong, right? He went into, he went into, um, his, his tenureship as prime minister with a sort of a pro-China, um, policy, especially in 2013, 14, and 15 when he was running to be leader of the party. Now that's since changed. He's had some really difficult, um, you know, times with China and we don't really get along that well with the Chinese regime right now. So he, he went into it pretty naive and he's changed right that. It's not a surprise that during those years, the Chinese preferred or the Chinese regime preferred Mr. Trudeau to be, so he's not really a, an independent actor because it's hard for him to judge what actually happened here too, because the allegation is that they were trying to influence his own MPs or his own candidates. So that's the exact point that we're trying to make here is, is put it in the hands of somebody else, put a hand in the hands of somebody that can actually look at this, put it in the hands of somebody that can make recommendations before a disaster happens. I am satisfied that the 2019 and 2021 elections were reasonably fairly fought. There might've been some things here and there, but they were reasonably fairly fought that didn't affect the outcome. God forbid it did affect the outcome. How would you put that back into the box? So mm-hmm. Prime Minister, take yourself out of this, um, put somebody in charge of it, Take the, let the national security apparatus help it or, or fix it and make sure that we do whatever we can to uh, stop this from happening. John Malloy, should we, as Canadians, be somewhat comforted that the RCMP are also investigating this? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the system is... Uh is responding in the best the best way possible and there both the caller and 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 the comments that have been made i mean in in my mind this is what the the prime minister is doing i mean presumably he's going to be appointing appointing someone like a, a you know a former supreme court judge or a, a you know a, a person of probably great stature who will be able to see all the documents all the information including that which is highly sensitive and highly confidential and come back with uh, uh, some recommendations and so, you know a summary of of what happened and and some conclusions on what happened and i think i think all of us should should feel that that putting in the hands of this third party is is the best way forward so you know, I think I think the prime minister is addressing uh, uh, the comments that are being made. He's, he's finding that individual to come forward. And as I say, I think it was absolutely ridiculous that Pierre Polyev would take a swipe at them when they haven't even been named. Let's see who's named. I, I, as I say, I suspect it will be a, a judge or someone of that stature. And let's give them the information and uh, uh, move forward and, and find some comfort that there is that, that set of uh, neutralized third-party eyes that are going to be taking a look at this. But how much credence uh, should we give to Pierre Polyev? comment that uh, not about the gray-haired individual, but that the person might be a liberal crony, Glenn? Um, well, I think um, that's a that, that, that's just silly. Um, I listened uh, to the press conference that you had uh, played earlier, <coughs> sorry, uh, in, in the clip, yep. and, and, and Mr. Polyev was saying things like Trudeau is helping fund foreign dictatorships. I mean, I, I don't think that's helpful. I, I don't think Mr. Polyev wants to, to fund foreign dictatorships. I don't think Mr. Trudeau does. I don't think Mr. Singh does. So for an elected leader of a political party from nation, from coast to coast to coast 
to stand there on national TV and accuse the prime minister of helping to fund foreign dictatorships, I, I, I think is very unfortunate. And, but I, you know, when I, when I hear the caller that your caller that had just called in saying, you know, can't we just leave it to CSIS and forget these, you know, silly politicians? Cause they all liberal or PC or NDP, they all have agendas. And, and my response is no, I don't think that's the best course of action. Uh, you have to have public open oversight of your police force, of your military, of your security agencies. Yes, you don't just throw everything out in the open because there are, you know, sensitive documents. Uh, but I, I think I would not feel comfortable as a Canadian leaving these decisions to nameless, faceless, unelected bureaucrats at CSIS. Okay. Uh, for what reasons, yeah. I don't know. I, I think shining a light on these accusations and on these uh, efforts that maybe the Chinese have done or the Russians or the Indians or the Americans have done, let us see it all and let us uh, come to our own conclusions. And right. That's what you have to accept the professionalism of the security staff <clears throat> and you weigh that <coughs> sorry, and you weigh that compared to what other people are saying. So expose but Canadians to the due process. Oversight of all security agencies and all police forces. Okay. Uh, and we'll speak about this for the whole half hour if uh, our listeners and you folks want to stay on topic here with uh, the foreign interference story that just gets bigger and wider every day. Um, let's get back to the phones. And by the way, our recovering politicians are weighing in on the story. Uh, that's Glenda Bearmaker, former Toronto City Councillor representing the New Democrats, John Malloy, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, and Jason Leader, Conservative Strategist and President of Enterprise. Back to the phones, 416-360-0740 or one 866 740. Brian, calling from Toronto, what would you like to add? Well, I'd like to just say that scandal after scandal after scandal, somehow uh, Mr. Trudeau seems to be like the Teflon Don. But I believe that this should be an absolute open public non-political inquiry. This should not be a committee from the government. This should not be a committee even representing multiple parties. This should be an independent, open public inquiry. Otherwise, it can get skewed, in my opinion. Okay, let's go to Joe in Mount Hope. Uh, Joe, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, thank you, Jane. Um, I can remember a few years ago, no, I don't know the exact date, but I can remember Trudeau talking about China, how he loves the way that China runs their country. He did. He publicly said that. I don't, do, you, do you remember that at all? Uh, this does not ring a bell. Well, it did happen. And okay. I'll, I'll put my name and everything right, okay. right on we that. We need but. to Google this. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, well, he did mention, he made that comment. He liked the way that China runs their government, their country, something to that effect. So ever since that point, I'm thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Like, uh, I like the way our country runs, okay? You know, like I'm 83 years old and never had a problem with the government yet, but I'm, I think I'm about to. <laughs> so, okay. All right, because- Joe, thank you. I'm not sure if that is factual or not, but, you know, Jason, back over to you. Is this sure. a scandal? Is this actually a scandal? So, um, just, to, just I'll answer the question that 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 the caller just said. Trudeau said in about 2013 that he admired China's quote basic dictatorship because of their ability to get things done. So it's accurate what he said. To, the, to, to be fair to Trudeau, the context of the uh, of the quote was that he said, you know, essentially they get stuff done. Um, they're able to cut through the noise. That's why I admire their basic uh, human dictatorship. And he actually, or their basic dictatorship, and he actually said afterwards, you know, now obviously my opponents are going to say that I love China and all this kind of stuff. So right. that's the actual context of of, of that that quote. Just okay, to thank to you for that. Thank you for that. Um, the, in terms of in terms of the, whether or not it's a scandal, you know, one of the things uh, it, it, it's 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 growing a little bit. It, the prime minister's mishandled it, right? Like, there's not even an allegation that he did anything wrong. That's the weird part about how we have badly he's mishandled this. Is like he and his party did nothing wrong. And, and, and yet they've found themselves in this huge scandal about like, you know, did we cheat in an election or did anyone cheat or did anyone? And by the way, I, one, one thing I just want to say to your, your listeners as well, it's really hard to cheat in a Canadian election. And one of the reasons why it's so hard to cheat in a Canadian election is because that we put paper ballots in paper boxes all over the country in small numbers, right? There's like, you can't hack a program. You can't sort of, you know, you, you, you there's not a lot of money involved in Canadian politics. It's actually really a quaint 
sort of place to run an election campaign. We don't have to talk about Dominion voting machines or, you know, whether or not Russians were hacking this algorithm or that kind of stuff. There's things that happen in terms of the communication. But I'll just say, like, that is one thing that um, I, I suppose, like, I'm, I'm, I really believe in free and fair elections. And I think it's nice that we've always had that confidence in Canada that we haven't had to go through the kinds of things that they're going through in the U.S. And I really want to keep that. And one of the things that we can really do is keep these low-tech elections that were actually happening, mm. that we've been having up till now. Right. Uh, John Malloy. So in, in terms of what Jason's saying, just to pivot from that, uh, we're talking about Chinese government influence, maybe more than interference. And the, sorry, and the question, I'm just, I'm just looking for what you want me to comment well, on, I'm on just, their influence. It, well, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, we, we're referring to it constantly in the media and uh, I guess from the politicians' perspectives as well as interference. Is influence the same as interference? I don't know if I'm getting into the weeds or not, but, you know, when you're talking about trying to influence a voter base through social media, is that the same as actual interference well, I think I listen. I think we should be concerned uh, uh, about both. I mean, I agree with Jason that interference. I mean, the idea that uh, uh, you know some some uh, spy uh, you know walked up with a with a trench coat and had ballots in their their pocket or what have you. No, that didn't happen. And uh, I, I suspect that you'd find very few problems with the way the election went on. And, you know, I've been involved as have other panelists, and I agree with Jason 100%. Their paper ballots uh, uh, counted in a church basement. I mean, it would be hard to, to do that. The idea of influence, the idea of whether uh, you know, the Chinese government was trying to, you know, stack the deck in favor of one party or another, I guess in this case, the accusation is the Liberal Party. That is something I think we should be concerned about. Uh, we should be concerned about any sort of interference outside of, uh, uh, you know, our, our nation. This is supposed to be Canadians' decision, and uh, we should be, uh, you know, debating it and engaging in the campaigns and engaging with politicians without that, that sort of interference. And I would hope that the work that's uh, being done uh, through the special advisor, through the, the the special committee that looks at national security issues, that they would come up with uh, ways that uh, it can be prevented in the future. I don't think it's necessarily going to be easy. I mean, you raise a, a wonderful example. How do you prevent uh, Twitter, you know, yeah. people who are, yeah. who are uh, um, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, Twitter from China sort of thing, but people who impersonate uh, Canadians, Canadian voters, that sort of thing, which we've seen some of that in the United States in terms of uh, Russian interference. And I think, you know, the more you broaden this, the more you get into some of the larger issues that governments are, are facing throughout the world. Exactly. How do we How do we deal with social media? How do we deal with the way it can be manipulated yeah by, you know, by businesses that are trying to sell you stuff all the way to foreign governments that are trying to sell you a particular candidate or turn you off a particular candidate. And these are huge, huge issues. And, you know, they're really, really difficult, but I think we need to be seized with them uh, uh, as a society. Right. If you look at the broader umbrella situation of what's going on here, Glenda Bearmaker, it really speaks to the dangers of and misinformation on social media. Uh, yes, th that's correct. You know, in the last election, we had over 1,000, well over 1,000 candidates from all various parties nominated and stand in front of us Canadians and asked, you know, for our votes and, and the election was the election and who won, who is, is who won. But it is true. We have to have a responsibility as individuals to, to be aware that when we go and listen to the PC platform, the Liberal platform, the NDP platform, the Bloc platform, the Green platform, that we think about it critically and, you know, that we hopefully ourselves don't get influenced by Chinese or Russian bloggers or flyers. Um, you know, we, that's why I think uh, uh, an inquiry would be a good thing, because if we were to find out that one country, whichever country, um, was, was funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars into nomination uh, fights, so that their preferred candidates could win the nominations and then become part of the government, I think that would be a, a serious uh, breach that those governments shouldn't have done, and there, there should be consequences to that. But as of today, with a thousand candidates in our country from all political parties being nominated, we do not have any evidence of a single one 
uh, being influenced by a single foreign government. And maybe there's a single one out there that we just don't know about yet. But as of today, the most horrendous accusations I have heard, and they're only accusations, they're not even documented, is that seniors got on a bus and went to a (laughs) nomination meeting and some, some foreign students signed up for a nomination fight. And, right. and, you know, that's been going on for 35 years, and it depends on which, which party you are. If you're, if you're uh, not entitled to vote, then in a lot of parties do not allow you to vote in the nomination. So you have to look at that and say, you know, if there were some foreign students who signed up for, for Glenda Barrymaker to go and support him at a nomination, how was it that foreign students were allowed to vote for Glenn when they're not supposed to? And that would come back to each political party making sure the rules are followed. So um, I, I think we have to, I mean, we, we live in a global village now. Uh, you know, a person in Russia can send out a tweet and it's on my phone yep. in, in 17 seconds. Yep. So we have to be aware that people are trying to manipulate us. They are trying to persuade us to vote for their own political party, whether that be the NDP or the Liberals or the PCs. And we as Canadians have to really think about there are three people asking for my vote. Which one do I think is going to be best for my country? It's an opportunity for me to plug my industry, you know, in terms of getting your information from from real sources, from verified yeah. sources. And that speaks to the importance of uh, keeping real journalism alive and well in this country and around the world. Let's quickly go through the callers and then we'll get final comments from our panelists. Pat in Toronto, go ahead. You're on the air. The question I have is, how many millions are we going to spend on this little escapade? Uh, I'm reminded of Libby's uh, interview with the chap who is uh, thinking of running for the mayor of the city, who pointed out the $27 million spent on renaming Dundas Street. The problem that most politicians have, it's, and I'm a former politician, it's so easy to spend other people's money. So why can't we put a limit on this? Maybe $50,000, and that's the max. It isn't worth any more than $50,000, but you watch. It'll turn into a $20 million project. I appreciate your opinion. Thank you, Pat. Let's go to Toby in Hamilton. Toby, final comment from you, and then we'll go back to our panelists. Oh, Toby has hung up. (laughs) Okay, so I guess just as we move forward and wrap up this segment with our recovering politicians, uh, Jason Leader, what is important for Canadians to keep in mind as this process continues? Confidence. We need confidence in our uh, in our electoral system. I do not want to get into a position where, and we've we've drifted a little bit this way, where all all the parties or the main parties are every time somebody else wins, it's like, wow, we got to change the system, or the rules weren't fair, or somebody was cheating, or all of those kinds of things. It, we've seen what happens in the United States. It's a toxic environment, and it's a toxic stew of of sort of. And everybody's got to remember. Like I, I've never once complained about the rules or the outcome of an election campaign that I've lost. I think we've all got to get back to that spot where it's like we need confidence in the system and the prime minister through mishandling this has 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 led a little bit more of that you know that confidence to erode and he's got to get this out, out of, under control right away and make sure that we can all believe in the system john malloy i think uh, you know going back to an earlier point we've got to separate uh, two issues one is was there any uh, direct interference? And, you know, we need to have that uh, that discussion, and some of it may involve confidential material, and it may be a third party that can reassure us. Uh, and, you know, I totally agree with what Jason said. We've got to make sure the integrity of the elections are, are uh, maintained. But I think the other, as I say, to go back to our earlier comment, is this whole idea of, of influence and social media and, and misinformation and false facts and all that sort of thing. And, and how does this play into it? And, you know, we've got to, we've got to keep uh, trying to find a way as a society to deal with, uh, you know, the, the, the type of nonsense that's going on and, and how it's affecting us. So, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll spur that conversation to continue. And Glenn, DeBearmaker. Uh, well, well, I would say to everyone listening, I would urge you, I would beg you to go out and vote in every single election because they're very important. We're getting turnout sometimes that are 50%. That means one out of every two Canadians don't even bother to go and vote or, or one in two Torontonians don't even go to vote for the mayor. Voting is very important. And I would encourage people, I use myself as an example, I have very good friends who are from every single different political party you could imagine, from the Reform Party to the Green Party to, to all, all of the above. 
And I have found there are very, very good people in all three political parties. So while we may disagree on policy and we may have those debates, I think we all have to remember what we have in common is that we are Canadians, that we like each other, that we all want the world to be a better place, and let the voters decide. I think that would go a long way. People actually have to vote. I mean, you know, we have foreign governments maybe trying to influence us. Well, some people don't even bother to vote. So I would encourage you, if you really want to make things good in our country, get out and vote. This has been great, guys. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. See you, guys. Our recovering politicians on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back this week, Glenda Bearmaker for the New Democrats, a former Toronto City Councillor, John Malloy, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, and Jason Leader, Conservative Strategist and President of Enterprise. It is Jane for Libby, and coming up next here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, grilling the grocery store CEOs. How accountable do they need to be to Canadians for inflation? while recording record profits. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Let me ask you this before I introduce our next guests. How are you making out in trying to cut costs at the grocery store? Or are you leaving items that you would have purchased before inflation went crazy on the shelves? How are you managing during this era of inflation? And some would say greedflation. The numbers to call 416 360 Zero zero seven forty or one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Members of Parliament are gearing up to question the CEOs of Canada's largest grocery store chains at the House of Commons Agriculture Committee tomorrow on food inflation. Experts say they should push the leaders of Loblaw companies, Metro, and Empire Company for more transparency on why the grocers are making so much money. Among those experts, Sylvain Charlebois, director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and David McDonald, senior economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Thanks to both of you for joining Fight Back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sylvain, the CEOs are appearing tomorrow after trying to avoid testify. Well, I shouldn't say that if they were trying to avoid testimony, but they did not testify earlier. They sent other executives in their place. Recap that dynamic for us. Yeah, I, I was actually there uh, in Ottawa on December 5th. And uh, I think everyone, including myself, uh, we were expecting CEOs to show up for both uh, Sobeys and uh, and Loblaw. I believe Metro was testifying the next day. Uh, but CFOs actually came, and obviously the committee was very disappointed, so I'm not surprised that the committee actually insisted that CEOs would would come. Uh, on December 5th, what I saw was a committee that wasn't really well prepared. Uh, it was the first session for this particular food inflation investigation, but still, uh, I didn't see a committee really asking questions. I saw a committee just trying to politicize the issue of food inflation. Uh, I didn't see any attempt to understand. Or So I'm hoping that tomorrow night uh, they'll be doing two things. One, they'll be asking really specific, concrete questions. And two, they'll actually bother listening to what CEOs actually have to say. Well, let me ask you this then, Sylvain. What questions should they be asking the CEOs? Well, I suspect that David will agree on the first one, which would be to understand how much profits uh, come from food sales, specifically isolating food sales from cosmetics, clothing, prescription drugs. If you look at uh, Loblaw's financial statements, you can clearly see that Shoppers is is a bank. I mean, it's generating a lot of income for for the banner, too. I would certainly ask questions about the blackout period, the so-called blackout period for three months, Vendors aren't allowed to increase prices, uh, prices they charge to, to grocers. And I never understood the practice today because in October, uh, vendors boost prices uh, and then they jack up prices again in February, which is exactly what we saw. Mm-hmm. I would ask CEOs how consumers benefit 
from these blackout periods. I just don't see the benefit for, for all of us. Right. I've noticed, like, for instance, uh, the price of no-name butter at Loblaws, exactly. is, it's gone up. It's gone up. Well, not just at Loblaws, but everywhere, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dave, David, wh- what do you make of the CEOs appearing tomorrow? And will we get uh, better information than when the executives appeared in December? And what should they be asked? Yeah, I think Sylvain is quite right that, unfortunately, in these political committee meetings, you do, you, I mean, MPs are often trying to score political points and to look at, you know, to their constituents and so on. It is a real opportunity, though, to ask those very specific questions. Okay, look, profit margins are up. What's the disaggregation of those margins between food versus non-food? Or even within those food categories, you know, fresh food versus meat versus uh, dried goods and so on. It is an opportunity where you could ask pointed questions. I think it might also be an opportunity uh, to ask pointed questions about whether additional information would be provided to the Competition Bureau that is investigating this exact issue. Uh, now, the invest- unfortunately, the, the Competition Bureau's um, uh, their study can't compel the grocery chains to give them more information that isn't already available in the public domain. Of course... You know, these companies could volunteer that information if they wanted to. And I think this would be a great opportunity to ask those CEOs to commit to volunteering that information to better understand this trend of food inflation. Uh, You know, the CEOs have been quite adamant that they're merely passing on price increases that they are seeing from their own suppliers further down the supply chain. Uh, There's certainly some truth to that. That doesn't mean they can't make money on it, obviously. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean that their margins aren't up, which they clearly are. Um, but it is very much an opportunity and a public opportunity that isn't going to come around very often to ask much more pointed questions uh, to get answers, as Sylvain said, to the questions we, we really haven't gotten answers to uh, at this point. Certainly not in a, you know, in a way where they're all seated in the same room in front of the same committee. Understanding that they are all probably prepping for the questions they are about to receive uh, tomorrow. Sylvain, how will they, how do you think they will justify record profits in the face of ongoing inflation in in food prices? I I don't think they'll actually address the issue. And and frankly, when you look at, uh, I, I, I think I disagree somewhat with David on profit margins. I actually don't see... They, they've gone up, but not significantly compared to other companies we, we see in the market. Because as you can imagine, the last four years, the market has been just wacky. Uh, however, operational margins, when you look at operational margins, they've been steady in Canada, but they are double of what they are in the U.S. So grocers in Canada, uh, report, uh, operational margins that are actually double historically. And so, I would ask the question about about that, and and I think we all know that the answer to that question is that the Canadian market is just not competitive at all compared to the U.S. And so it's been a bit cozy for them, mm-hmm. for grocers in Canada. So I would ask the question about how to make the market more competitive. Why? How come Aldi and Little that are actually in the U.S. haven't invested in Canada? Why are we seeing retailers leave like Target and Nordstrom last week? It's Canada is an unattractive market to invest in when it comes to food distribution. And if I were an MP on that committee, I certainly would want to know how to make Canada more attractive for companies like Little and Aldi to come in and offer good deals to consumers and bring prices down as much as possible. Interprovincial barriers, um, labor laws, uh, taxes, all of these things are just not making Canada a good place to invest. But why, Sylvain, would uh, grocery store CEOs want to bring down prices? Well, <laughs> I'd be more interested in their reaction than their answer, to okay. be honest. But, I, but as an MP, I would raise the issue yeah. about about the competitiveness of the Canadian market. I, I don't think we're there. And it's impacting consumers. Right. Their reactions to that question would be interesting. David, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, so certainly, you know, you think of the different geographies in Canada, too. You can get various levels of competition. You know, if you're downtown in a big city, you've probably got a couple choices of stores you can go to that are legitimately from different chains. 
you know, once you get to smaller towns or the population density isn't there, often you have just a lot fewer choices. And even if you do have choices, you may not realize it, but all those choices may actually be from the same chain, might be same versions of stores from the same chain. And you might not actually be getting any real competition uh, insofar as, you know, you can go to one store or the other, but in the end, it all ends up on some consolidated uh, income statement of, of, of a big firm. Um, and so I think it's worthwhile asking the question about concentration in the industry, particularly in smaller Canadian centres where there isn't often a lot of choice as to where people buy food. Right. Good point. How are you managing with food inflation, our Zoomer Radio listeners? How are you managing? How have you been able to perhaps work the system, whether you're using points or coupons or, or whatever gets you uh, the best deals in the face of uh, this historic inflation in grocery stores? We need to take a quick break, but I do want to come back with your phone calls as well as our experts. I want to ask them about what the members of Parliament on this committee tomorrow are going to do with the testimony they receive, or, or will they be able to do anything with it? Is it nothing more than political theater? Uh, numbers to call, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is back on Thursday, and right now we're talking about how the CEOs of Canada's largest grocery store chains will be questioned tomorrow by members of the House of Commons Agriculture Committee on food inflation. Leaders of Loblaw Companies, Metro and Empire Company will be taking questions tomorrow after executives with the same company answered probably similar questions uh, back in December. But now the CEOs are in the hot seat, so to speak. And we are joined by Sylvain Charlebois, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and David McDonald, Senior Economist at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Also, I want to hear from you about how you're managing with uh, still historically high food prices. 416 Six three six zero zero seven forty or one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Sylvain, uh, it was you who said that uh, this could be nothing more than political theater tomorrow because uh, the MPs really can't use the testimony to make any solid changes for Canadians. No, no, but I have a theory about why grocers are showing up, uh, except for Eric Laflèche. Uh, from Metro, he's actually going to be joining by uh, via a uh, video conference. But uh, both Galen West and, and Michael Medline are, are going to be showing up in person. And by the way, this is the first time they'll be seen in public together since Medline, the CEO of Sobe's, threatened to sue Galen West and five years ago when the bread uh, story came out. Uh, yes. so that's going to be interesting. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but. But the one thing I would ask CEOs as well is about the court, the grocer code of conduct. Uh, it's been in the works for a while now. Uh, they're setting up a secretariat to lessen the power that grocers have in Canada. So to give a chance to processors to get a better deal and also to protect independent grocers. We've seen many independent grocers disappear across the country, especially in small towns uh, all over the place. And which, which actually robbed many Canadians with, uh, from, from another option they would have retail. Uh, a lot of towns in Canada only have one grocer, uh, left. And so this grocer code of conduct uh, is being created to discipline the supply chain and discipline major grocers like what we're seeing in, in the United Kingdom. And they are supposed to be this, this code of conduct would be, would allow the secretary to actually issue fines against grocers. So my question to grocers specifically would be, uh, to ask them whether or not they support the code, uh, specifically. And this would be an important uh, accomplishment, in my view. And David, what would they do with that information if that question was posed to the CEOs? Uh, do with what information? 
if if uh, they were to be asked about uh, the code of conduct among grocers, depending on what they say, uh, how could that information be better used to help consumers? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is the idea that if you, you know, I suppose if you if you leave these big chains alone, they will continue to gobble up smaller independent grocers and replace them uh, with their own stores. And so, you know, this is another question of competition. How can you increase competition at the local level, uh, you know, in smaller towns or in bigger cities so that there is uh, more competition on price? Oh, and hopefully that can whittle away at, uh, at profit margins in the grocery store industry. I mean, I should say that uh, we've been very focused here on grocery stores, and that's, of course, what, what this discussion is about and what the CEO is going to appear uh, for. I mean, if we look more broadly in the Canadian economy, the profit margins that were up slightly uh, in the grocery store industry really pale in comparison to other sectors. So it's certainly true that um, net uh, sorry, uh, gross pre-tax margins in the grocery store industry are up prior to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, but that's nothing compared to what's happening in the oil and gas sector, what's right. happening in, in oil, and, oil and gas manufacturing, refining, or what's happening in real estate or the banking sector, where we're seeing much higher margins. And these are some of the places where a lot of this inflation money is ending up. Yeah. Yes, we're paying it to retailers and grocery store chains. But it isn't necessarily them that are receiving all of that money in the end because it's a big supply chain, a big part of which involves diesel, you know, trucking yeah. these goods, so, so these goods, y- moving them around the country, and then in the end selling them to consumers. Uh, so it is a much bigger picture than just the final retail step in the chain, which is, of course, you know, what this what this meeting is about, or what the uh, interview with CEOs is about. We're going to the phones here in just a moment, but I just want to clarify. So you empathize in some way with what the CEOs are saying in terms of that they have to pay the costs in order to get the products on the shelves. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is absolutely some blame that sits with them, but it's only not only with them. It's not just the final step in the supply chain that's entirely responsible for the entire increase in price along the supply chain. Okay, phones are jammed. We have a few more minutes to go here. Let's go to Margaret in Mississauga. Margaret, what would you like to say? And I would like to know if the point system, like the optimum points and the air miles, adds to the cost of food. I've seen a study from the states that said that that adds two or three percent to the cost of food. Um, and if people uh, try to save money by using points, uh, that could cause uh, the inflation rate to to be uh, increased a little bit. Uh, each time that um, the uh, cost of paint of points goes up for the right. groceries. Margaret, thank you. Uh, she brings up a good point, Sylvan. Absolutely. Loyalty is going to be a big battleground for grocers. So you may have noticed when you walk into a grocery store, uh, grocers will sell you points <laughs> uh, for whatever reason. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, you have to wonder whether or not you get uh, your money's worth when you uh, when when you show loyalty, and the answer is uh, not so much. Uh, loyalty programs in Canada aren't that generous compared to the U.S. In the U.S., there's a huge coupon culture we don't have in Canada, so loyalty points are are all we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there was a study that was published. Five years ago, in general, uh, Canadians uh, spend about $11 billion in credit card fees to get to specific loyalty programs, but they only get back about $4 billion in return. So many Canadians actually fall short when it comes to loyalty programs and points, and, and these days we certainly need all the help we can get. But what about flyers uh, online and paper flyers? Uh, if we're buying the deals, the items that are on special every week, Sylvan, uh, certainly that benefits the consumer. You, you make your these days because of how things are crazy. You're going to make your money buying sales, buying discounted products that are unannounced. Uh, flyers are a guide. It will get you into the store, but look around. It's amazing the deals you can find. You can go to the meat counter and save 50%, sometimes 75%, because the, the product was packaged two, three days ago. Uh, if you're flexible with your menu, you can save a lot. Right. Okay, let's go to Barbara in Hamilton. Barbara, you're on the air. Hello, Jane. Nice to talk to you. You too. But uh, I 
I really don't have any advice. I'm not smart enough for that. But I like to let people know, like in Hamilton, we have a beautiful market downtown. And I was shopping at a grocery store, which I like, but the prices were atrocious. And they weren't selling the food, so like fresh vegetables, because it goes bad quicker. So anyway, one day I stopped in the market, and oh my God, the difference in the prices of food. I got two beautiful heads of lettuce um, for $4. I got... um, that's uh, a good deal. Onion, yeah. two pounds for two pounds. Yeah. But anyway, I won't go through it all, but I find what I do is I shop Canadian. Okay. I yeah. do not use all these point systems. Barbara, thank you. Thank you for your call. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to move along to June in Mississauga. June, go ahead. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yes, as a um, senior who has to cook for one um, and try to make your dinners um, palatable and get the proper nutrition. I find this very difficult when you shop because all of this two-for-one sale is the worst thing that they could do, yeah. um, in my mind, for seniors who cook for one. Um, but I did go shopping yesterday, and I was pleased to find in a no-frills store um, 375 grams of lean ground beef for $3. It was just the right size of package that I could probably get three meals out of it. Right. No, you, that is a great point, uh, itemizing uh, product so that uh, one person or a couple can, can make a meal and not have too many leftovers. June, thank you for your call. I'll get final comments now from our experts. I guess um, as we say goodbye, Sylvia, then what, uh, what do you feel would be the best outcome uh, for tomorrow's testimony? Best outcome is to let CEOs talk, uh, ask tough questions, specific questions. Uh, and also, uh, I would remind your listeners that the Competition Bureau is doing a study right now. Uh, they're going to be publishing their study in June about the food industry. And my guess is that's why grocers are showing up. Uh, they're certainly concerned about changes to the Competition Act, and I, that's likely to happen later this year. So stay tuned. David McDonald, uh, best outcome in your opinion? I certainly think uh, some commitment by the grocers to provide more information to exactly that Competition Bureau study would be a, a great outcome. Uh, in addition to getting, frankly, any additional information, disaggregating uh, some of the profit margins by, uh, you know, the different things that happen in grocery stores, food separated out from other things. Those, I think, would both be great outcomes. Uh, I'm not sure we'll see them, but uh, they, they would be good outcomes if we did see them. Appreciate your expertise, both of you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. David McDonald, Senior Economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy, Alternatives, and Sylvain Charlebois, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Jane for Libby, and tomorrow join me when the medical record panel will be off the top of the show after the noon news. Bob Comsick is next with the latest. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.